know me. I'm Pastor Lloyd, one of the pastors at High Point Church, and I get the privilege today of um, giving, presenting the Word of God to you, and uh, I'm delighted to be here. All right, on, that should be good. Um, so I want to first start with our, our text for this morning, which will be um, part of a new series, Jesus the Incarnate Warrior. So this, this Advent, for which this is the very first week, we are going to be showing that Jesus came uh, to save our lives, and in doing so, he had to defeat our enemy, and our, our chief enemy, Satan, and his minions and, and demons. And so we're going to be looking all this month at um, this passage in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12, 20, uh, and we're going to see how Jesus shows how we fight differently against our enemy. So this morning, it's funny, under here, there's a Spanish Bible. This is when we have our other friends and churches here. It's like, oh, La Biblia de Bocinal de Estudio. Uh, this is not quite the right. The one I'm going to be reading from is the one that's in your pew Bible. Uh, it's the NIV. And turn to pages 1781. 1781 in your pew Bible. Ephesians chapter 6, just three verses today, verses 10 through 12. Let's begin. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you will take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. One of the things that we don't often take time to consider about Jesus is that in his advent, in his coming to earth, uh, one of the things he did very early on in his ministry was to take on uh, Satan, our chief adversary. And in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, it doesn't take a whole lot of time in Jesus' life. We get his birth. Um, we hear a little bit about his mission. He gets baptized at the end of chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, something very interesting happens. The Scripture tells us that Satan leads Jesus out into the desert to fight, uh, excuse me, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the desert to do battle against Satan. So read with me, 1471 if you want to follow on in, in your pew Bibles. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit immediately after his baptism, that's the, that's the scene, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him. This would be Satan, our adversary, um, the devil, the accuser. If you are the son of God, tell me, uh, to, uh, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, 
Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so in fighting against Satan, Jesus shows us that God comes first before all other things, before our, our natural and normal needs, God must come first. And um, Satan is, is, is tempting him. He says, if you are the son of God, you can do this great miracle. And, and he says to him, uh, yes, I am God, but God comes first and all of our practical needs come second. So and when we're fighting against uh, Satan, we've got to remember that our very real uh, practical needs in life are secondary, that our love for God and our sustenance spiritually, the fact that he is our life uh, is the first thing that we've got to know if we're going to take on Satan. God comes first. Now let's look at the second temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city, took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point on the temple to see its glory and so forth. And he says again, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And he quotes the scripture, Psalm 91, 11, and 12. He quotes the scripture. He says, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus answered him with appropriate theology. He says, it's also written that you do not put, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And what's, what Christ is teaching us here is that we must learn to trust God and not test God. That God can be trusted for, for everything. And this can be a kind of a difficult lesson uh, to learn. Um, I, I would imagine if, if we look over Jesus' life from the manger all the way to his death and resurrection, uh, learning this lesson that you could trust God through the dangerous uh, periods, through tremendous attacks. Um, it was a difficult lesson to learn, but a true and important lesson that for us as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't put God to the test, though he does promise to secure us and to keep our souls and to provide for us. He does make excellent promises to us that these promises we take by faith, we trust in our Savior, and we learn how to trust him more and more by our experiences. That's the second thing we learn is that uh, we're, Jesus is to, God is to be uh, given our full trust and not tested. The first is that Jesus comes first before our needs. And then the last lesson, again, the devil took him on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms in the world and their splendor. He says this, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, adversary, away from me, for it's written that you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Uh, and Jesus uh, constantly is responding with the truth that comes from Scripture. Uh, he, he is saying that there really is only one God, and we must serve him only. And, but, but think about the, the temptation. Jesus knew God's perfect plan was that he would come to earth, that he would incur the wrath of the Jewish people who didn't know he was God, that he would be put to death at the hands of the Jews as well as the Romans, and, 
then he would get glory. And the offer was, let's bypass the suffering and go right to the glory. And Jesus says, no, the suffering is part of God's perfect plan for saving you and I. And so if I'm going to worship God only, I'm going to worship him recognizing that the Christian life isn't a, a smooth life, that it requires selfless sacrifice. And in that selfless sacrifice comes great joy that we participate in. And we learn that if we're going to fight against the, the devil, we can't be afraid to go through suffering, that our suffering actually has a redemptive purpose. It makes us holy. It, it, it uh, inspires and it helps our brothers and sisters when they suffer. And it follows in the path of Jesus Christ. So we've got to know, Jesus shows us that fighting Satan is critical, that it happens at the earliest parts in our ministry, and that we need to be prepared. Facing the real enemy requires us to be well prepared. And that's what these three verses do for us this morning. They show us how to be prepared to fight Satan and his demons. So there's three things that we've got to um, understand properly. The first is we've got to understand the source of our power, where our power comes from. The second thing is we've got to recognize who the real enemy is. And the third is that we've got to actually take a stand. We don't fall, we don't sit, but we actually have to be involved in, uh, in this war. That we're empowered, but we've got to take our stand against the enemy as well. Ephesians 6 and 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's that one of the things, the difficult things for us as uh, intelligent, bright, uh, handsome, I'm speaking of myself now, no, <laughs> um, attractive, talented, gifted people, there's this great tendency to be self-sufficient, to be able to tackle all of life's challenges in your own power and strength. And what God is trying to tell you, say is that if you try to take on the, the, the Satan who is invisible and has is much stronger than you in your own strength that you're going to lose. And notice even when Jesus does battle with Satan in chapter 4, he says, it is written. It is written. He even references to the Father's word. Even though he has been endued with all power, even he calls on the Father's power in order to take on Satan. And so it is with you and I. That if we're going to take on this powerful but not all-powerful enemy, we're going to do it in the, the power that God gives us in Christ Jesus, not in our own flesh. And one of the things is that we've got to do to help us remember that it's our power is as we've been studying the book of Ephesians, we've been seeing some of these very key themes that when we remember these basic principles, we remember that the power comes from God and not in of ourselves. That we've got to remember uh, uh, humility. That it's not in my own strength that I'm going to take on the, the challenges of my life. It's not in my own strength that I'm going to be an excellent father. It's not in my own strength that 
Um, I'm going to be able to watch over my, my mom as she ages and my brother who's sick in Lansing. It's not in my own power. It's in the power of God and in the fellowship of the church that I'll be able, that I have more than the resources I need, that, I have, that I'm more equipped to take on things. So in myself, it, it, my strength comes in my humility, in my recognition that I can't do it, but that coming alongside you, fighting in Christ, Knowing the word, I can overcome. I've got to have this, this humility. And I need to be in fellowship. You remember, it says that we need to come together. That the, the, the main thing when he makes the transition of Paul and his writings from doctrine and who we are in Christ to what we're to do in Christ, the first thing he calls us to is fellowship and unity. So usually when I come for Thanksgiving and, and, and the Christmas and Advent, I just come in here and I see these wonderful decorations and I'm greeted by the musicians and I, I'm like, oh, this is wonderful what goes on. And, and this week we had some illnesses and some, some family emergencies and staff and then I realized, no, the staff actually comes together and works six, seven hours to put these decorations up, right? It's, it's that it takes a body to come together to be able to celebrate, that we are called to serve each other. It takes musicians here at seven in the morning practicing, um, uh, getting up early, uh, not paying attention to colds and flus in order to, to serve us, that we come together to, in order to serve, that we need to be in fellowship, that we've got to be in the, in the Word. And so Jesus shows us that it is written, it's how we will overcome the enemy, that we've got to be steeped in the scriptures, getting deeper and deeper in knowledge. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a, of a, of a pastor that takes the, the word of God, senior pastor Nick, so seriously, and a Sunday school ministry that's powerful in the word. And if anyone here isn't growing in the word, it isn't because the opportunities aren't presented. And so God calls us, if we're going to win, if we're going to fight against the, the devil, we've got to remember that the, the power is in God's word and we need to appropriate it and learn it. And we need to be in prayer. I came in this morning and uh, this is one of those Sundays when I come to preach and I don't quite have the confidence that sometimes I do. And I ran into Harold. Harold's one of the ushers here. He was here at seven and he broke right immediately into prayer. And I was thankful. I was thankful for a couple of reasons, but not only do, do, uh, does a average preacher like myself need the prayer of the saints, but even a great preacher like Paul needs it. Ephesians 6 and 18, he says this way. He says, uh, 19, he says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I may fearlessly proclaim, make known the mystery of the gospel. And so I'm reminded that I need you to be praying for me, Nick to be praying. And I'm also reminded that I need to be praying for you because you as Christians are, are sharing your gospel message with your family and with your neighbors and your friends. And you need me to pray for you so that you can be fearless and take advantage of the open doors that God gives you so that we can invite people into fellowship in, in Christ Jesus. We need to be praying for each other, and those prayers are effective. They enable us to be 
to, to do God's work, to build his kingdom uh, together. We pray for each other. And I like Colossians 3.17 because this reminds us that whatever station, calling you may have in life, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's Colossians 3.17. And that covers us. It says that we bring God into every aspect of life. When you go to the restaurants after, when you went shopping on Friday, when you go to work tomorrow, when you visit your aging parents, and everything that you do, God empowers you, equips you, and keeps you, and sustains you against the enemy who wants to work against you. We, we, whatever we do, in 520 and 19, we need to be thankful, and we need to be rejoicing. This is a habit. What I have found about Thanksgiving and rejoicing is I need to practice it even on the days when it's, I don't necessarily feel it. And I, f I find that if I, if I say that I'm thankful, if I recount what God has done for me, then I'll start to feel more thankful. On Thanksgiving morning, when I knew my family was coming over, I kind of felt more thankful. At five o'clock this morning when I got up to preach, I wasn't feeling as thankful, come on with me. But I, want, but, 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 um, I know that I get the opportunity to be served by you and for me to serve you. And I'm thankful that God would use me in such a ministry. I'm thankful to be here this morning. I'm thankful uh, to, to, to be a, alive in an, another Advent season. What are you thankful for? And so when we think carefully about these resources that we have in God, they remind us that the source of our strength is God's and not our own. That's the first point. We must understand the source of our power. And the second is we must recognize who the real enemy is. Ephesians 6 and 12. For our struggle is not against human beings. It's not against flesh and blood. But it's against spiritual powers. It's against rulers. It's against authorities. Uh, it's against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that there are Satan and there is a hierarchy of angels, uh, that, uh, evil angels that is working against us. And that uh, even though we might, you might go to work tomorrow and you might feel like the struggle is with your coworker or boss, that, that is a false understanding, an incomplete understanding. But even for the Apostle Paul, who as he took the ministry into Asia, modern Turkey, and then as into Europe, he ran into all kinds of difficulties and circumstances from human beings. This can be challenging. Second Corinthians 4 and 5, he says this, he says, as a servant of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And then he talks about some of the difficulties. I needed to use great endurance in troubles, through hardship and distresses, like what? Like beatings while he was in prison, imprisonments, like a riot in Ephesus, when the merchants in Ephesus who were losing their way of life because people stopped um, uh, purchasing idols and were burning their idols and, and going to the word of God, their way of life was threatened and they came and they beat Paul and his associates. 
And so these were human attacks. And um, one of the things that is challenging for us is that human attacks can really hurt us badly. And they can get us thinking that our enemy is some, some person. Sometimes these persons are really close to us, and sometimes they're not so close. But they can get us thinking that our enemies are human and not spiritual. But Paul always wanted us to fully understand that, the, that sin was not orchestrated by you and me. Sin was not orchestrated by whatever powers and foes that come against our nation. That sin was the idea of a, a, a spirit that fell from heaven. Um, the scripture calls him Lucifer, the son of light, who through pride thought he should be exalted above God and was cast down. And he becomes the author of sin. And in Genesis 3, it's he that comes to the woman and the man and tells them to disobey God. And then all human beings are then now consumed by, affected by, by sin. This wasn't something that, sin isn't something that you created in your own heart. Even though sometimes I used to think that with my kids when they were really young. I would say, well, how did you start lying? We never lied. Where did this go? And it comes from uh, God's arch enemy, Satan, who brought sin into the world. He's the father of sin, and he's more responsible. You and I are responsible for sin, but he's more responsible, and he's more dangerous, and he is our real adversary. And Paul really understood this well, and Paul learned this directly from God. When he's given testimony, as he goes before, to, to court to give a defense for his message, he says this is the message that he received from God. He said, God told him, I will rescue you from your own people, the Jews, and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them away from darkness, that is from sin to righteousness, from darkness to light, and what he calls the power of Satan. The power of Satan is darkness. The power of Satan is sin. The power of Satan is death. He's come to turn us from that to righteousness in Christ so that they may receive forgiveness for their sins a place in the church, a place among those who are sanctified that is made holy through faith in me. And so the power of Satan is the, is the enemy. It's not your sister. This is a true story. Uh, two, uh, a dad had two girls, um, and uh, they got into a big fight the way, man, my, my older brother and I and me and my younger brother would get into them all the time. It seemed like all, every day it seemed like we would fight. And he got into a big fight, and the dad came to him and broke him up. And he takes the oldest daughter off to the side. And the dad says, who won the fight? And the daughter looks at him and says, you really think that she could lick me, dad? And he, and he, and he said again, he, he didn't blink, he says, no, who won the fight? And she thought about it. She thought about the sermon she had heard, she thought about her Sunday school class, and she said, Lord, the devil won the fight. And that's exactly the truth, is that the actor behind any of our skirmishes and disagreements is the father of sin and the father of lies. 
and he wants us to, to, to think that we're fighting against our sister or our brother, our boss or our pastor, our, our, our spouse, but that is not, that's not true. That there's something different. And when we recognize who the real enemy is, we can fight differently. When we recognize who the real enemy is, we can, he can, we can fight differently. We will see people as those who are to be won over. And we will fight not with our fist, but we will fight to wear them down with love. And there is a really powerful passage that God showed me that I want to share with you that shows how we are to fight. And this is Paul, and it's not in verses 10 through 20, which Pastor Nick will, will, will lay out very clearly. It comes in a different passage. It comes in Romans uh, chapter 14. And what it says is that we are to fight differently in order to, to, to win people over to Christ, that there's no way that we're going to fight the adversaries of God, especially the human um, th- that don't know Christ, uh, Ephesians 2 calls them the sons of disobedience like we were before we knew God. He said that we had to be won over by love and not by disapproval and hatred. And so the scripture says this in, in Romans 12. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And so uh, when I would have struggles with my various bosses at American Family, the, 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 the solution was to work hard and be a blessing for my boss and to pray for them and to encourage them. It says, bless those who might persecute you. Uh, don't curse them. Um, that we are to rejoice with others. And, and this even uh, uh, extends to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. When that person at work who's been giving you the business, when their mom dies, you ought to feel the pain as well. It ought to cause you to think about what, what it was like when your mom passed or what it would be like if your mom passed. You ought to be able to empathize with them and then therefore you'll be able to encourage them with that empathy. Mourn with those who've mourned. Live in harmony with one another. That is, there ought to be a, there ought to be a peace and there ought to be a freedom and there ought to be an ease among us and how we relate to each other. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but, but be willing to associate with people of low position. We need to be careful that we only hang out with the cool people. This is a problem uh, even in the church. Uh, everybody knows who the popular folks are, and there's a tendency to only want to be around them. Uh, but God wants to remind us that you're not so, so high and mighty and to, that you shouldn't be affiliated with anybody in this room or beyond this room. That God, when, when we are associating with the humble is when this, the love of Christ is flowing through us. That's what he's saying. This is how we fight. We fight against the enemy when we don't leave the vulnerable people aside in their depression, in their loneliness, uh, 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 open to the attacks of the enemy, but when we come along them and encourage and support and bring them into the love and fellowship of the church, that's when we're fighting against the devil. 
Don't be conceited. And don't repay anyone evil for, for evil. This was really hard to do when I, when, in working in the world. Man, you spend so much time working, we put so much into our careers, and when we really are done a serious injustice, lied upon, cheated on, not given fairness, man, it really bubbles up in your heart. And what God is saying is what you need to do with that is you need to turn that to that over to me, and you need to begin in prayer, and you need to hang in there knowing that I'm gonna take care of you. You need to hang in there long enough so when I first got to Madison, I was working at American Family in the marketing department. A job came up that I really thought I was the best person for the job, plain and simple, a directorate. In fact, they had given me the job to do on an interim basis, and the, the previous situation was a mess. I had turned it around. I thought for sure I was going to be the person to get this new job. And they did an, a search, and they ended up hiring somebody that I thought was totally, you know, whatever, in my arrogance, you know, not, not nearly as qualified, right? And I, man, I was really crushed. And thank God I didn't take it out on anybody, but I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed, but I was in tears about this. I was like, Lord, I've been working hard here, and I actually moved to Madison because I thought it would be a great career advancement. And here it is, the first opportunity, and it goes to somebody that isn't, that's not even your child, Lord. They don't, they don't love you. And I cried. And it just so happened, God had a better job for me three months later. Better job, better pay. Uh, I was really better qualified for because I was in sales, and this was a sales leadership job. Um, we need to uh, uh, recognize that we don't fight in flesh and blood. And we trust, we trust, even when we are persecuted, we trust that God is going to bless us and that he means the best for us. I, I can honestly say in all of the things that I didn't get that I wanted, all the aspirations that didn't turn out. There was a good reason. It may have taken me a few weeks or a few years to really fully understand why something was withheld that I thought I wanted or deserved. But I can always, I can always see a little bit later if I hold on with God that his wisdom was better and his decision was better than my decision. Don't take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to eat. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. This is a Proverbs 25, 21 through 22. And basically what I'm saying is this, the last principle in verse 21. We do not overcome evil with evil, but we overcome evil with good. And so we're countercultural people. And we don't fight with fists and meanness and ugliness. We fight with grace and truth and righteousness and the word of God and kindness and perseverance. And we do take some lumps and God wipes the tears away even now, not just in eternity. So we fight a different kind of war. Last point, we must take a stand against the enemy and his schemes. I wanna focus on schemes. Ephesians 6 and 11, 
put on the full armor of God so that you can, you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil has got a whole variety of schemes and, and tactics. I just want to go over three major ones really briefly. His Satan's goal is to destroy your faith. That's the main thing that he wants to do with us. He doesn't care what you believe in, whether it's humanism or Buddhism. He, do, he doesn't really care as long as you don't believe in Jesus Christ and the Word of God and the Father and the triune God. As long as you don't believe in the real God, he wins. And so what his goal is to attack your faith. And he does that with all kinds of lies and false doctrine, which is why we need to be careful about understanding the Word of God and we need to be growing in truth so that we can identify the lies. I'm reading a book right now about Catholic social teaching and they're talking about what's really social justice, right? And there's some really good principles in there, but every now and then I see this Westernism kind of individualism creeping in and I read my Bible and I don't see that. I see more of a reliance on God and the community. And so we've got to be careful that even in the 99% that's true and right, that we can see the 1% and extract it. We got to be realistic and honest with ourselves about the truths and the ideas that we believe. By the way, this war is primarily a war of ideas and arguments. It's a mental battle that's being fought. That's why Jesus constantly says, it is written, it is risen, written, that the, our fight is a mental fight. It's in our thinking and in our logic. And, 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 and so we, we spend our time here coming up with a biblical worldview, with the, developing the mind of Christ is why we're here. So we are careful about lies and we need to dissect ideas and platforms. And we need to know that, that that's just not true. And that one is true. And we stand on the truth. We take arguments down, 2 Corinthians 10. We tear them down. And we test them. And we, 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 we beat on our own disobedience. We see our disobedience. And we challenge it so that we can become more mature. Because we walk in truth. The enemy's goal is to destroy our faith. He will, his main weapon is to use lies and deceit. But our business is God's truth. And the second one is he wants to divide us. He wants to divide. There's no way we can restore and bring truth and, and invite folks in if they come into our houses and my, my kids are fighting and I'm struggling. If they come here and we're not rejoicing in the Lord and they don't see the beauty of Christ in our relationships, nobody's going to come and want to be a part of God's family. He comes to divide the church. And one of his main tools is pride. In fact, in 1 Timothy 3, he's talking about the qualifications for the deacon, and he says, beware pride. Beware pride. This is the sin of Satan. He wanted to be high. And so pride is the kind of thing that divides us. I'm smarter than you. You're prettier than me. Whatever. Right? I had the privilege of going to Illinois, and you went to Wisconsin. No, I'm just getting joking. Right? Pride and stupidity. Oh, congratulations to the Badgers. Great victory yesterday, right? A guy who's all, who gives you trouble about what I needs to give. Pride. And so how we fight this is with our humility. We recognize that we serve each other. We recognize that God has given 
order and responsibility for our good. We respect the order that God has given us. And we don't just respect people because we think they're smarter or better than us. We respect them because God has put them in a, in a position for his purposes. Lastly, God wants us, uh, Satan wants us to be hypocrites. He wants to destroy our testimony. He wants us to say that we love righteousness and holiness and goodness, but then for our lives to be falling apart and for us to be enslaved in sin. And so he's going to tempt us in all the ways that you need to be tempted, that you can be tempted. That's why in the full armor of God, it's from the head, helmet of salvation, to the feet, the preparation of the gospel of, of peace, that God gives us a complete armor because any place where you're weak is where the enemy is going to tempt you. And so we need to know the places where the enemy tempts us carnally in our flesh, and we need to steer ourselves in other direction, ask our brothers and sisters to help us so that we can stand and, and exercise the self-control that God has given us since he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So these are just three of the different strategies. There's many different schemes and ways that Satan can take us down. These are just an example of three of his schemes. So we must understand, we've got to be prepared when it comes to fighting the devil. We've got to know the power is God's. We've got to recognize the enemy is Satan and his demons. And the enemy is evil as a system and not you and I. We're not the real source of the problem. And we've got to recognize that the devil's got many different ways to take us down. And then I'll end with this. Jesus was uh, fully prepared. He came to earth recognizing that the place where to stand was going to be an unlikely place where he would overcome all of Satan's schemes. It was the cross. Uh, he knew that his death and resurrection is that which would defeat Satan's plan. That we were trapped in our own kind of self-serving ways, the scripture calls that sin, that we needed to turn to him in repentance and faith, and we needed him to fill us with the spirit so that we could walk in the truth. He recognized that, and Satan believed that if he could kill the Lord's Messiah, that salvation would be lost, and he would be king. And Paul tells us about this battle. He describes the situation uh, here in Colossians 3 and 15. He says, at, at the point of this battle, you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh. That is to say, your, your carnal nature is just kind of gone wild and unchecked. Uncircumcision of the flesh. But God made you alive in Christ. He did that by forgiving all of our sins and filling us with the Spirit. And the end result is the same dealing with the powers and authorities. And he disarmed the powers and authorities, that is Satan and his demons, and he made a public spectacle of them through his resurrection, triumphing over them by the cross. 
And so the symbol of the cross of Jesus Christ is the main symbol of the, the warfare of God against his enemy. It's a sign of our victory. And it teaches us that in order to walk in righteousness and salvation, in order to bring others into the family of God, we've got to sacrifice. We've got to be willing to give our lives. It's in the giving of ourselves that we actually find our lives. And it's not in the carnal, mean-spirited ways of fighting that the world involves itself in. So next week, we've been surprised. We've got somewhere around 12 baptisms scheduled for next week. This year, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think we're getting close to 50-ish baptisms for, for 2019. Why don't you give the Lord a round of applause for that? I got a chance to, to talk with about three of those folks who are gonna be getting baptized next week, and God is doing a great work among us in, in showing non-Christians their need for God and in displaying his beauty of life among us in such a way that people wanna join our movement. And I wanna say that if you are uh, a person who needs to take that first step of commitment to faith in Christ, that wants to confess that you're a sin, nor that you need God, that there's room for you at High Point Church. And uh, it was funny, I had to practice humility because uh, Ashton told me, he said, Lloyd, uh, we, we, can't, we can't add any more to this baptism for next week. And in my spirit, I was like, yeah, we sure can add some more. But, but we want you to go out. If this is you, if you need to take this first step of uh, being identified with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for your sins, for your new life, I want you to go and I want you to sign up. And what's going to happen is you're going to sit down with a pastor or a, a person of our church, and we're going to talk to you with some slowness and some detail about what it means to walk with God for life. And we're gonna welcome you into the family of God. And, we, and maybe we won't be able to do it next week, but we'll be able to do it in January. Come on with me. We wanna welcome you into the family of God. Let us pray. Worship team, you can come to the front. Lord Jesus, we are glad that you don't fight the way humans typically fight. Uh, Father, we get angry and we try to get even in whatever means it takes to get even. But you, in coming to earth, recognized our lostness without you. You came and preached peace. You, you explained to us who the triune God really is. Then you died to show us what, the, what God really is like. 
that at every cost and at any cost, God will, will provide in order to restore real truth and real righteousness in us, in order that we can be reconciled with him and live in peace, and in order that we would really experience peace on earth, that men and women would be able to fellowship in real harmony and uh, real unity through Jesus. We thank you for that, that you changed our lives by granting us the Holy Spirit. And you showed us that we don't fight with carnal weapons, but with grace and truth. And that grace and truth always wins out over your enemies and our enemies, Satan and sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.